The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome to Amplified. We have a really awesome show today. I am so excited to be back home and hugging my son and my wife for the holidays, and we have uh, Christmas next week. So I wanted to turn this over to Todd to give a very warm and exciting welcome for our guest, and then I'll be right back. All right, Ken. Thank you very much. I love doing this because each week we have some of the most amazing guests, and today is no exception. Jim Rivett is president and executive creative director of Chrome, a full-service advertising agency driven by originality and an obsession for creative details. He is a respected creative veteran in the design and advertising industry that spans nearly 30 years. He's a native of Green Bay. He graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater with a fine arts degree in painting and drawing. He also studied at the New York School of Visual Arts. Jim has been recognized for his creativity vision, originality, and leadership. And in 2005, he was selected by the Graphic Design USA magazine as one of the nation's 50 uh, top 50 people to watch in the design industry. He is an active community supporter and a member of the board of directors of the uh, Committee for Downtown Green Bay's Performing Arts Venue. Our good friend Joyce White Nelson, this is what she said about him. Jim Rivett has a life purpose of contributing back to the world he uses his gift of relating to all people and his creative skills to shine his light on others. His leadership inspires everyone who knows him to do the same. Please welcome Jim Rivet to Amplified. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for such a nice introduction. Well, Jim, I got to say, we have a couple of shout-outs to do uh, that I like to do as far as the background and relatedness. So, I didn't think I would be going back so far in time, but I have to go back to 2008, and I have to acknowledge Glenn Garns and Matt mm-hmm. Cassidy, who were my partners in Perfect Networker that created a social platform that attracted the amazing people like Joyce White Nelson to the platform mm-hmm. to be a superstar ambassador to really cultivate the, con- contra- uh, the conversation of contribution. And she has only gotten better at contributing. Uh, I have talked to her at least once a week about 2017 and all the big things she's doing and and projects that uh, you're doing that I can be possibly involved in. And it was a wonderful talking to you yesterday Mm -hmm. and getting to know you and talk about social proof. What actually caused you to be so so involved in community and and what are some of the tricks of how people can actually step up to the plate and be that involved? I think uh, one of the things that I've always found beneficial to my business and my my work in, in this industry is that we have the ability to help people or nonprofits tell their story 
and the people that maybe can't always afford a high-powered agency to to brand them or to help them with their their marketing needs, but we have the ability to do do that for in-kind services, and I think that's been the most rewarding aspect of of business that I've experienced in my whole career. It's uh, whether it's working with a, like a, a theatrical, you know, like the Meyer Theater in Green Bay, Wisconsin, or the Jackie Nitschke Center, which is a, a drug and alcohol recovery um, facility. It's just really rewarding. And then there's East High Fine Arts Institute, which is um, a, a group that we've set up to help low-income kids be able to take their lessons through the summers and to rent their musical instruments. It's just been really rewarding. You know, the list of how many things you do to contribute to community and um, and beyond is probably got probably one of the most incalculable uh, ripple effects. And I just wanted to acknowledge you for being a, a make it happen. Uh, Todd Thomas, who actually wrote a, a book called the It Factor Action Guide, he's the gentleman who introduced you. I'm mm-hmm. sure he appreciates with his long, the long list he read of all your accomplishments that you would be someone that he could actually uh, cite as a as a case study of how you make it happen. And sure. Joyce, I wanted to, I wanted to bring you in for a second. Uh, when I had asked you for some amazing people that you know, um, tell me some examples of, of how you actually came up, uh, how you met Jim, and, and your history with him. Well, hi. Um, I think I, I met Jim first through Pete. I think Jim, and sure. uh, then I met Jim second, and Jim was first off, very instrumental in helping my oldest daughter. Do you know that, Jeff? Yes. Uh, you, you, yeah. So, I, and so, you know, then you're forever bound to someone when they help one of your children, you know, take the village to raise a child. And so, um, you know, he's, he's always contributing, and um, he's really well known in the community that he gives back and gives and gives. So then people, that's a magnet, you know, uh, and uh, he, Jim is a really good listener, so a lot of people come to him to talk, <laughs> and he and does excellent work, so that is attractive, too. So there's just, uh, I've known Jim probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, maybe? Probably, you remember all that and, much, yes. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And, about 15, um, I think. So he's always ready. At the ready with an idea, if you come to him with a thought or um, how could I do this or what do you think about that, um, he pauses and he actually thinks about it and then he gets back to you. So um, he lives in that moment and contributes back in whatever way he can. So, Jim, we haven't given you too much of a chance to talk because we are so excited about having you on the show, but I was just talking to Joyce about the shiny object syndrome, which is you get distracted from being focused on the prize or you're just, uh, you're having too many distractions in life. And I was sharing with her, I wouldn't know you if it wasn't for the the shiny, uh, object syndrome, because I've been on several events that some people would ask, why did you go to that event? And indirectly they connected me to reconnect with Joyce. And here we are today. So what is your advice for people that, uh, are going into the new year? and also just balancing their life with regard to uh, contributing and, and making a difference as far well, as not having the shiny object syndrome occur. Yeah, I think you have to be careful. I have so many interests, you know, that you have to be mm-hmm. careful that you don't spread yourself too thin because you're not good to anybody when you do that. But 
I think it's part of my DNA is that I need a lot of stimulation and I, I, I do have a lot of adrenaline. And I, I think one thing I wanted to clarify is that the reason I give back is not for, you know, recognition or that kind of thing. I get more from it personally than the other people do. I mean, I took a sabbatical. Uh, I, I got off the advertising treadmill. I don't know if Joyce even knows that in 97 and went down to Costa Rica and left advertising for a full year and worked with um, homeless um, Nicaraguan refugees living under the bridges. And I worked in a school, fixed up at school. I worked with at a woman's prison. I did it because I, I got so much more than I was giving to them. And I, I learned Spanish and got to travel through all Central America. So I, I think one of the things you have to be careful of is in going into 2017 is that you really plot out what you want to accomplish and what you want to do and, and get it down to some manageable scope so that you're not, you know, hitting like a shotgun approach and trying to do everything. But for me, it's like I'm interested in so much, I have to really be careful that I want, and I want to help everybody. And the reality is you just can't. You're just, you can't spread yourself that thin. So, so what is your interest in 2017 to focus on and accomplish or a couple right. things? Right now, um, one of the, the big initiatives is is to we're working on a, a documentary for an NFL football team that I you know you can probably imagine what it is. But um, uh, the other <laughs> thing is um, the other thing is um, really um, focused on uh, the Willow Tree Advocacy uh, Center for Child Abuse, and they've had a hard time with fund development and we're doing a whole root beer campaign uh, that growlers of root beer from where we're um, located our offices next to Titletown restaurants who brews snowcap root beer. We're doing a kind of symbiotic relationship with them to, to raise funds for this um, child advocacy center so that they have more funds streaming into streaming into them. And that's what we're going to do on Martin Luther King. We're, we're taking um, this product out to all our vendor clients and vendors and giving them root beer floats, but letting them know that every growler that they um, buy of root beer, um, $2 goes towards the Willow Tree Advocacy Center. It's when kids are abused, they go to this center to be interviewed by police, and it's in a safe zone, and it's out of their house, and it's you know confidential and everything. So that's really a great, that's a big driver for me this year. As we're ready to launch that in the middle of January, so... That's that's probably one of my main ones, and then and I have a plans to go to Cuba. I want to go to Cuba and photograph, you know, Cuba before it gets totally changed. You know, that's that's one thing I've always wanted to do, and this is the year that I'm going to do it. So, so this would be your first time to Cuba? Yes. Yep. I've always wanted to go there. I wanted to fly. And you love photography? Pardon? You love photography? Oh yes. A lot of photography and filmmaking, and uh, I would I would bring do both. I'd like to just uh, capture and document things the way they are right now uh, before they before I see massive change going on down there. So what are the challenges that um, you have with fundraising to solve these problems? Oh, fundraising. It's, it's, a lot of it is, um, you know, really either developing programs where we can um, create development strategies that are sustainable and that are ongoing. That's something that's long-term rather than just a one-ask. And, and also helping these nonprofits develop endowments so that they have um, capital that will keep on earning revenue for them to sustain themselves. Um, we just helped the family um, center at the Nitschke Center, which is Jackie Nitschke, who was Ray Nitschke's wife, who were number 66 for the Packers. Um, she was the first NFL 
uh, woman to go public with her alcohol addiction. And now it was named after her when, uh, before um, Rainichki died. And now there's a family center that needs to be um, added to the campus so that people who are, are um, have a loved one in addiction uh, in recovery can actually get treatment themselves because one of the biggest aspects is enabling. enabling. I did a whole documentary on, on Jackie Nitschke, and I learned a lot about alcohol addiction, and uh, William Moyers was in it, Bill Moyers' son, and I I failed to really grasp the whole enabling aspect of it. And so the family is such a critical uh, part of, of recovery for anybody in, in, in the center, and they need to develop those funds to keep that center open, and we're working on that right now on a donor wall, and $2 million was raised to um, make that happen a reality. So it's been, it's been really rewarding to see that, that take place in the community. And what is that documentary? That documentary was out three years ago, and it premiered at, um, at Lambeau, and um, um, Chester Markle's in it, uh, Bart Starr's in it, um, Beverly Lofton's in, in, uh, featured in it, Jerry Starr, and it really just is a... Um, Mark Murphy from the Packers actually helped give some, some revenue towards it to uh, help it make it happen because he said, I just don't want it to be sold. I want it to be given free to anybody who's in recovery or who anybody who has a, a loved one that's going through addiction. And it's been an educational tool that's handed out for free by the Jackie Nitschke Center. And that was one of my most rewarding things. I joined the board after finding somebody in our office who was sleeping in the bushes and was homeless and had a crystal meth addiction. And then I got asked to be on the board like a, a couple of weeks later. I said, I will if you allow me to do a documentary and raise funds. So I raised $200,000 to, to, to do the film. And that was the thing I think was so important was that you can, that we can create a tool to educate people instead of just putting a Band-Aid on it, that we can start going to and giving business scholarships to people who maybe can't afford recovery and maybe they're homeless, but they still need the addiction just as much as anybody else. So it's been, we did a total rebranding of the whole center and it's been, it was all done in kind and it was, it was really rewarding. What are some of the secrets to uh, breaking the addiction? Well, working the 12 step uh, program is really the main thing is to get into a 28 day in treatment facility, I think is really important if you're, severely addicted. The other thing is making sure that you work the program and you go to uh, AA meetings. Um, I knew I knew very little about that. I thought I knew everything about addiction until I um, witnessed somebody with crystal meth addiction, which I thought was alcohol. And uh, we got the kid into uh, the program and, um, and got to see him change after 28 days. And uh, it was just remarkable to see what the work that they do. And, and um, they have to really continue to be in that support system. And outpatient is really critical. You, you're not just done. You're always one step away from relapsing. And I also learned when we interviewed William, William Moyer's son, is um, who works at Hazelden, he was a three-time crack cocaine addict. He said that relapse is a very natural part of the process. And so I, I always thought that that was failure, and relapse is just a natural part to being sober. It's just something you can expect to take place. So it's been really um, educational for me in that in that aspect too. Well, I come from a family that did not have addictions, and I and I certainly with my son only three years old. I I don't think he's going to be addicted to anything uh, anytime mm-hmm. soon. But I I was asking that question: How do you uh, protect your your children from? Uh, doing the curiosity thing of I just want to try it. 
Right. Right now, there's just such an epidemic of heroin going on in our community and north of our community from Green Bay north to Marinette. It's just so many. I think there were 11 deaths last year from heroin, and a lot of them are first-time users. So I think you have to educate. You have to get parents talking openly to their um, sons and daughters about you know, one time can be the time that you just have too much and you can die. It's such a, a, a risk. And, um, you know, and if you've got, if you've got that, that, um, you know, possibility that you have addiction in your propensity is the word I want to say, propensity uh-huh. for addiction in your family, that maybe your father was an alcoholic and one of your offspring is going to be, it is, there is a genetic factor that comes down and, uh-huh. um, that's something you've got to really, you know, be honest of it and, and try to take precautions that, that you educate and talk about it openly because um, the secrecy is the worst thing about addiction. Everybody wants to keep it silent, and we're talking about it, and we're talking about it to, to younger students and anybody who um, has everybody, – everybody's been touched by addiction some, somehow. I had a sister who had an alcohol problem, and uh, it didn't happen until later in life, and um, – I think my father's passed away, but I think he struggled with addiction his whole life. And um, so you you know there's things going on, but you don't really talk about it. And you know that it affects the dynamics of your family, and you know that it affects the dynamic of your relationship with that person. So I, I think that's really, really a critical thing to be aware of. And, and watching this documentary helped a lot of people kind of um, grasp this because there's a whole medical aspect of it, too, what happens to your body when you do become addicted. And what is that? Well, the whole thing is, you know, um, Moyer said it best. He said, you know, you and I might do a line of cocaine, and you might do it once, and you say, I never want to do it again. For me, my brain is like sliced uh, Swiss cheese. All the holes line up, and all it's telling me is that I want more, I want more, and I need more, and I will do anything to keep getting more. That is a chemical makeup in your body that is putting you at risk of being addicted and um, for many people, it's I've tr- they've tried this or that. They've tried crystal meth once. They've tried cocaine. But there's others who try it, and it's it's a gateway drug. Sometimes it's marijuana, and it becomes a gateway drug to do something else. And, and before you know it, they're from they don't want to do cocaine. They want to go to heroin. You know, they want to do something higher up. It's just it's just um, uh, amazing how much I used to just think that. Well, pot is this just innocent drug, you know, and it, it really can be a gateway drug for a lot of people who face addiction issues that they will they will ramp up to do something harder and stronger that can actually take their life. And there are those who stay totally with alcohol, and and that's just as damaging, you know, the long-term effects of alcohol on your body and, you know, your your kidneys and your liver will all wear out too, so. And this documentary is a, a it sounds like a great thing to show uh, your children and uh, schools is that true? Yeah, any, anybody who uh, you know the real the really um, turning point for me was talking to uh, Chester Markle, who was a um, kicker for the Packers in, in the you know in the eighties, and he didn't have any any way to transition out of um, being a Packer. I think it was kind of a shock when your career ends and all of a sudden you're faced. Mm-hmm. He was very candid about. Um, his depression afterwards, and and he was using while he was playing. He was going going down to Broadway Street and scoring, you know, drugs before a game. And um, he saw his father kill himself, so he 
um, tried killing himself by drinking battery acid, rat poison, and vodka. You know, and to hear somebody talking about that so candidly on camera, who's been in recovery like 20 times, and is just so willing to share with the the whole community and be so open about it. He's he's on the road to healing now. He's doing really well. But I think part of that has been able to tell your story and actually to verbalize what has happened to you has been really a, a healing component for somebody like Chester Merkel. And I have so much admiration for somebody like that who can get up there and talk about their near-death experience that they almost you know took their own life because the addiction was so severe. But, um, but that, well, that's I'm, how it goes. Well, I'm very perplexed by this topic because uh, you know there's people that choose to use and people that don't and then people that mm-hmm. get hooked on it for life and mm-hmm. and they don't know there's another answer and they they lose perspective mm-hmm. and there's there's other facets like uh when a child is not being loved enough they mm-hmm. look outside the family and they get sometimes into bad uh you know gangs or situations that they mm-hmm. make bad decisions so mm-hmm. uh your documentary kind of goes through all those types of aspects yeah, as well? Yeah, um, Moyers talks about, too, he was, you know, a privileged son. His dad was, you know, mm-hmm. in the Johnson administration, was on the cover of Life magazine. He said, but he had a hole in his soul. He said there was something missing, and he doesn't know what that was, but you try to do anything to fill, fill that hole in your soul. And I think the same thing is true of anybody who is enabling uh, someone, a loved one, you know, I've had um, business dealings with people who've been addicts and, um, and business partner who was very um, addicted, and I never really understood my own role in actually perpetuating it by enabling and trying to cover up and trying to make excuses and trying to, you know, tiptoe around the situation, avoid the confrontation. That was the worst thing I could possibly do. So even though I did a film on addiction, I skirted around the whole the issues we talked yeah. about enabling, but I never really, 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 really grasped it until maybe two years ago. When a lot of things happen due to it, um, so um, enabling is, you know, that is just as serious of an addiction as as is the alcoholism because the person you've got to put yourself in a safe place. You have to really distance yourself from the loved one, and you have to let them go. And a lot of times, you have to let them go at the at the risk of knowing that they may not, not may not come back to you, and they may not survive. And that's really that's really difficult. That's really a challenge in this. It's an illness mm-hmm. like anybody else. And and the the one thing I learned is you you can't judge it. If you're angry at the behavior, but the one thing is you don't get mad at people who have heart disease. You don't get mad at people who have breast cancer. But there is a propensity for us to get angry at people who have addiction because the behavior mm-hmm. becomes so so volatile and so deceptive and you know it's it's they're not being truthful to you they'll do anything to get their high they'll do anything to get their fix and that means hurting other people around them and hurting loved ones uh, specifically and so it's really i have to tell you it's really a struggle to to keep loving people who have that problem but that like moyer said this thing said well just wait till they hit rock bottom he goes i don't believe in that he said rock bottom is oftentimes death and that's too late. Right. He goes, if it weren't for my parents, yeah. I wouldn't have gotten out of that crack house. They took three times. They came to L.A. or not L.A., Atlanta and New York to get me out of a crack house. And I said, that's amazing that parents would have that that kind of, you know, link to your child that you'll do anything to get them that get them clean or try to get them clean because it would save them from themselves. That's a remarkable story. Uh, what is the name of the documentary again? It's called Champion, the Jackie Nitschke story. Okay, and it's available and on Amazon, I'm guessing? 
Uh, you can get it. It's it's available through um, the Jackie Nitchie Center. You can get it for free. It's it's okay. It's, it's not Joyce. If we can get that, okay. we'll get that link out on our social media. And mm-hmm. this might be mm-hmm. uh, one of the best gifts you can. It's the, it's a strange gift to give, but it might be one of the yeah. best gifts you could give. <laughs> when, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. I wasn't obviously planning on having this topic conversation, but it's it's actually a life and game changer um, when you have this problem in your life, whether it's oh, right, direct or right, indirect. Right. And it is nice because it helps a lot of people. I've had a lot of people ask me to say, I need this copy of the documentary for a friend. I said, pass it on. That's what it's there for. It's to be. It's a tool to be used to educate people. And, and there's other books that you can do, but when you see somebody on camera talking about the realities of what addiction happens, Beverly Lofton's story is like the mm-hmm. most moving story because her father was a, a, an alcoholic and he you know, she talks about him, and we're doing the interview, and all of a sudden it was snow that started trickling down, and, we were, and she started sobbing. I said, well, what's what's wrong? And she said, the snow just reminded me of when I was a little girl. My dad would get dropped off at the house. He had drank our paycheck away, and he'd roll him in the ditch, and my mom would tell me to go up because I had the smallest fingers, would reach into his pocket and get the spare money that we'd have to buy groceries. And she, she wow. I said, do you want to stop the interview? And mm-hmm. she said, no, I want to keep going. I, I need to tell this story because it's just as healing for me to tell that story, she said. I need to get this because I thought I had dealt with it. But look at all these years and I'm still moved by what my father, I loved my father, but my father was a very, very sick man. So mm-hmm. when you hear somebody tell that story, you can relate to it. And I think a lot of people have related to, you know, Jackie, Jackie's legacy. She was a tireless worker on getting people into recovery. She was a spitfire. Mm-hmm. She didn't. She well, we have a, we have a couple it. minutes till the break, Jim. We okay. have a couple minutes to the break, and Andrea Adams Miller is also in the line, and she's uh, her background's in uh, law enforcement. And I'm sure she's kind of at the edge of her seat, waiting to okay. ask a question, sure. especially about this sure. topic. So, Andrea, you want to join us? Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, Ken. Well, I mean, certainly when you were saying that you were creating a center for. Um, you know, for kids to go and be interviewed. I have great connections if you guys need some from some places that we have locally who have done really great with getting great funding and they actually do sexual assault exams as well. Um, And and they might have some other options that may be funding that they could only uh, apply towards once and move on. And I know that those are some of the most fascinating opportunities that makes it so the kids are so safe so that they can not be victimized again and only do it once. So uh, kudos to you for that, uh, certainly. And there's other, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, just hearing you talk about you know i love the river float thing because it's fun and you know it can bring families in and they don't even realize necessarily they just get to enjoy and don't even maybe know why you know mm-hmm. the causes or so forth um you know some other cool things with you know fundraising and that too is you know because both ken and i are publishers so that opportunity mm-hmm. to you know either you know tell a story from law enforcement's point of view or something and um, might be another way to keep those Sure. Um, keep studies or ideas alive. So the right. question I had for, you know, because that's only just one example, but, you know, when I heard you say that you do art and the photography as well, and, and I kind of was stalking you online so that I could learn more, you know, that, that was tongue-in-cheek, mm-hmm. I hope you understand, <laughs> um, sure. that um, I wondered if you've been able to portray more of that with your artwork. Uh, with my artwork, sure. I did, uh, you know, the other thing that I think is really important is um, mental health issues. Um, there aren't enough um mental health professionals to go around to um, people who really need it, especially younger people, are going for months without seeing a, a psychiatrist or a therapist. That's really, right. that's really tragic. I've been doing a lot of artwork that kind of deals with that, that issue of mental um, 
turbulence, that chaoticness. You know, when when somebody is is hit rock bottom and they're they're in need of some sort of outside support because either they're a suicidal or they're just so severely depressed they can't function. And um, and some of that is uh, stems from issues such as child abuse. Child abuse. Some of it stems from I don't know if it's. What comes first, if the alcohol comes first or the depression goes first, no, nobody really knows that. But I think I'm, I've been exploring a little bit of that in my artwork about um, just the, the human condition and how, how how fragile those connections are to um, our world around us, you know, and, and how you can lose any any bearings that you may have. You, you never know. Every, we're all one, one step away from being homeless or having mental illness kind of crack your life wide open, so... Oh, that'll be amazing. I'm sure that Ken would love to talk to you more about how maybe we can share some of your work on the Umbrella Syndicate sure. uh, just so that people can see all the things that you're sure. doing to bring more advocacy to the world and understanding. And then uh, I used to run a Midwest Advocates that was a nonprofit that mm-hmm. I started to show caregivers on how to find loopholes in the rules for mental health oh, okay. so that they could okay. find other ways to save money. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, I would love to talk to you after the show, too, because there's so many people who have so many things going on. Uh, my sister-in-law has schizoaffective disorder and, you know, mm-hmm. trying to find help for her and find all those loopholes was absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I appreciate That's... so much hearing yeah. all that you have to share. And I know after the break, I'm sure there'll be even more brilliance that come out. So I'm looking forward okay. to it. Great. Thanks for your input. That's great. you got some great ideas. I'd love to talk to you Thank more. Thank you. Sure. So, Jim, how, how can people connect with you? Um, my email is jim at chrome, K-H-R-O-M-E, agency, A-G-E-N-C-Y, dot com. Or they can go to www.chromeagency.com for the website. But um, the best is my email address, which is, okay. again, J-I-M at K-H-R-O-M-E, agency, dot com. All right. Well, we're going to come back and continue this story and uh, discuss your agency. Okay. Be back in a couple Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Get a unique and playful insider's take on the biggest stories in tech, media, and entertainment. Join Lori H. Schwartz, well-known technology catalyst, comedian, and geek girl, as she and leading experts in the media and content business dive into the biggest stories in technology trends, consumer behaviors, and its impact on Hollywood. If you're looking to respond to the tech-fueled changes in the marketplace, then tune in to the Tech Cat Show Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business and syndicated to Voice America Women's Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Well, happy holidays, and we are back for the second segment. I was just talking with Jim, Joyce, Andrea, and Todd about that first segment went by in a snap. So we are on the second segment, and we're going to hit Jim with a lot more rapid-fire questions so we can learn a lot more about him. So I, I guess because we didn't cover this in the first segment, Jim, would you share just briefly your upbringing and what in your upbringing caused you to learn that you had these talents and that uh and any and if there was a book that you read for instance that changed your life would you mind well, sharing I, that yeah actually you know i think i, I mentioned i was in fourth grade i started to draw dinosaurs and i just would sit on my you know my bedroom and draw dinosaurs and do i like to draw but what was really pivotal for me was in sixth grade i had a teacher who was fresh out of madison right after you know right right after the vietnam war he taught us about um art poetry he was playing bob dylan records you know he just was a mentor for me and really um exposed me to fine art and i kept doing more and more work and eventually I, he would keep everything that i would do i'd, I'd come in a week and maybe do a hundred paintings and really abstract or modern or whatever and then once there was an auction in, a, in class one of the kids was from a farm auctioned off my paintings and i came home with thirty dollars in sixth grade and my mom was mortified and she wanted me to return the money and i, I didn't do, I do it for the money i thought it was cool that i could do it but i i, I remember that teacher being so instrumental in me developing as a visual kind of a artistic person because i even did credits for one of his home movies so um it was it was that I think I got exposed to everything from literature to art to music and I, I just fell in love with all of that and I was at a Catholic school so he was a lay teacher so he was a breath of fresh air compared to the nuns you know they were, <laughs> who were stifling creativity and he was just nurturing us to just go out there and just do it so well you know you speak to the the creative aspect of thinking and expressing yourself and. The, the unfortunately the school system and budget constraints just really mm-hmm. downplay how important this type of right. mentorship is and my son as much as i want him to read at age three and know how to count and subtract and we are very much uh you know 
allowing him to be self-expressed by doing finger painting and right. building stuff and just doing whatever he can do with his mind and his hands. And he's he's got a lot of coordination already. So mm-hmm. I, I can, I, you're the kind of guy that I'd want in the school system making sure that the budgets and the fundraising is happening right. the correct way. Right. But, you know, you had uh, talked about that you do this just for the sake of feeling better. I mean, you're not doing it for an ROI. You're not doing it no. to look better. You're not looking to be acknowledged at all. Mm-hmm. But there is something called cause marketing. And I, I think a lot of people miss that cause marketing, whether you like it or not, you're going to show up as a good person. You're going to make a difference. And just because of those two things, more people are going to just want to want to work with you. Um, mm-hmm. How has this affected your agency and uh, what do you use your agency for? I think it's uh, affected our agency in, in, in maybe attracting a lot more nonprofits. And sometimes it, it, it can be a hindrance too, because you'll get everybody crawling out of the woodwork who wants work. So you have to develop a process that, that really, um, chooses which ones you can work with and puts them on a waiting list or, you know, kind of a as, as, as needed basis, you know, or who comes first. But um, I remember we did a, hired a consultant to do a voice of customer, and um, he said, you know, nobody's really interested that you are taking a day off and doing Martin Luther King uh, activities and going out to the schools and doing play acting for the kids and doing posters for the teachers to put up in the room. Well, then the next year, I see that guy, and he's actually mimicking everything that we did and was actually replicating what we were doing. So it was kind of a, a to me it was a sign that we are onto something that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Whether it whether it yields ROI or not, it still positions your company as somebody who's taking a stand and not afraid to get involved in the community and make your community better. And there are some, you know, like you said, some innate kind of benefits and perks that come with it. And I think it's it's your brand just starts to be evolved into a much bigger entity than just being an advertising agency. You're a conduit for so much more to happen in your community, and you're a catalyst for so much more to happen. Exactly, mm-hmm. and and I think the biggest benefit you get is you are with like-minded and like-hearted people that inspire you exactly. to be your best self. And, exactly. And then you learn how much more you're capable of giving and doing that is at no expense to yourself in time or resources or money because you're actually leveraging what you mm-hmm. know is talent or what you know is a, a conversation. And there's so, there's just so many companies that are looking for a tax write-off and they they don't even know what to do with the money and they could do such great things with the money and you're the kind of person that can cause that to be cultivated. Right. And I think the other thing that it does, uh, Ken, is it, it attracts people who want to work for you that maybe have the talent skills you're looking for. And so it, it attracts and retains talent for you as well. And okay. I think it allows you to see people who maybe have the ability to shine that maybe haven't been, you know, allowed that opportunity and they're given free reign to kind of be who they really want to be. And when you're, when you're, when your company is kind of accepting of diversity and, and openness to everything, uh, you really allow some people who become gems to come into your organization and they, they really shine. And that's been a joy. That's been a pleasure to see people achieve their full potential. And the other aspect is that you're problem solving. You're you're having your brain be exercised in a way of using limited resources to get right. the biggest bang out of it. I mean, right. if you're going to have a, a certain amount of money that can... I, I know a gentleman who just collected $100 bills from people so he could make $100 real, honest-to-goodness goodie bags that mm-hmm. he could give to homeless where they opened it up and they actually had a, a first aid kit. They had all these high quality things in the bag. And mm-hmm. he said, I didn't want to have a bag that was a joke. I wanted to have, a, and by the way, the $100 bag, it's probably worth four or $500. This is right. at cost. 
This is mm-hmm. getting stuff from direct. And so I, I think that what happens is when you do that type of activity with your brain, you go back to business and you run your business cleaner. You run it more efficient. Yeah. There's not waste. Mm-hmm. And, and That's very true. And, and then you're also looking at people that could help your business that you're actually helping them in the process. People that are potentially uh, challenged, have disabilities. Mm-hmm. You're looking at them as, gosh, I could contribute to them and they have these they they need to feel value. They need to feel like they they are important, and so it's all working together really beautifully. Right, right. No, that's that's very true. So when you're building audience, out in the community, you're building inside your company community also. Mm-hmm. You know, it all yeah. happens synergistically. Yeah, well, it's everything and starts your to connect. There's so many connections. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, what is what are some books that you have read that have changed your life and what books would you recommend to people that would want to learn more about well, I like, this topic? I like anything by Seth Godin. Um, I like anything by Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, uh, Tipping Point and Outliers. I loved Outliers. I think that's such a great book. Um, just, <laughs> I run my company off those two books, Tipping Point and Outliers. I run the Umbrella Syndicate complete off those two topics. Oh, really? Yes, oh, yeah. completely. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a big... I'm a big um, a reader of self-help books, so I read anything that I think is going to fill your mind with positive changes. I don't know if you're on Instagram, but I subscribe to HDF Magazine, which is just powerful quotes that are just about entrepreneurial thinking, and they're just motivational, and there's always a couple new ones a day, and I just I find that just really motivational for me to, to read it. You might be having a rough day, and you read something, and you go, yeah, that's right, that can get fired up again. And I, I think Do you share you, those quotes on social afterwards? Pardon? Do you share them on social media afterwards? You, oh, yeah. Do you read them? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, I met Seth Godin uh, a year and a half ago at the uh, the International Guerrilla Marketing Summit, and I was so excited because I read his, uh, you know, The Purple Cow and Purple several Cow, other yeah. books, and I was so proud, like I was his biggest fan, and I went up to him and I said, I have four, I, I, I am a huge fan of you, I've I've read four of your books, and he was like, well, I have 23, and I was like, awesome response. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, I know Seth. he's got a lot of books. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read, you know, Tony Robbins, I read some of that stuff and, and I know some people think that that's all kind of a bunch of, you know, out there too far, but I, I think anything that motivates you that you find inspiration from is, is great. I, I read a lot of art books. I, re, I love reading books about artists. Like Milton Avery is a, uh, an artist that I just really, really love and so I've been reading about his life. Uh, Lee Krasner, who was Jackson Pollock's wife, I'm reading a book about her right now. So I, I like reading that and I like reading business so I combine I have a blend of business and artistic so it's really I just bought a book on Woody Allen reading about his life and all of his films so it's uh, it's kind of a mix it's not, not, never one thing it's like my musical taste you know have you ever had a, a challenge that really um, stopped you and you and what did you do to overcome that yeah I had a challenge um, two yeah. years ago <laughs> big challenge yeah. With my business partner and I um, falling falling out of um, sync, and I had to start over again, um, and that's where I think I was able to regroup and ramp up so quickly because of um, the networks I had built in the community and the people that had uh, were willing to come forward and support me. Um, it was a difficult, very difficult time, and I had just come off of a Red Cross um, dance um, event where I raised two hundred thousand dollars. By myself, um, we collectively raised half a million, but I raised two hundred, and you know, won the mirror ball, and all of this. After that, all this 
happened. So it was like I won the Ethics and Business Award, and all of a sudden after that, everything kind of just blew up on me a month after. And it was very, very uh, struggling for a struggle for me. It was a hard, a hard time in my life. Probably the hardest time in my life ever, and to rebound from that was, you know, it took a lot of, of courage and stamina, and you know, and there's some days where you didn't know if you had it, and I had to read like crazy, I had to talk to people, I had friends lifting me up, and um, so adversity makes you stronger. Either it'll kill you or make you stronger, and I think it made me stronger and more resilient, and um, learned a lot, and there's things I learned that I will never forget from from what happened. So. Um, in in a weird way, are you glad it happened? I can't say I'm glad it happened, but I think now I'm getting to the point where I'm finally starting to see that there were lessons I needed to learn, and I was too trusting, and I was uh, maybe had my head buried in the sand too much as to how people can. You know, I really believe there has to be a component of forgiveness in business, and apologies for the rhyme, but I really think there is a component of that. Uh, we're all in this business, and business can be cutthroat, but um, at the end of the day, we've got to be able to somehow practice forgiveness for things that maybe went wrong and forgive yourself for things you maybe have done wrong and, mm-hmm. and maybe could have avoided a situation or been more proactive with the situation. You just don't have all the answers, even in business, just like in life. And um, I, 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 I'm starting to get to that point, but it took two years to get to this point where I'm feeling that it was I'm in a better place obviously, but uh, at the point of happening, I did not think I was in a better place. I thought my world had just collapsed on me, and it was pretty traumatic. Well, Jim, i got to say that this particular topic is really something I'm studying and have been studying Mm -hmm. for, gosh, since 2008, around the time I met Joyce, and Mm -hmm. it's the, uh, the secret of having an effective and purposeful and productive and unconditional partnership in business Mm -hmm. and in friendship. And I say that because I've had, I think I've had four, four partnership failures or maybe it's five, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's a lot. And I haven't had too many successes, quite frankly. And so I've really studied Uh like, what would, what would shift? What would I have to do? And what did I learn in all those different partnerships that failed? And the one thing I learned is that the three of the four that failed, they were because of, um, not being in integrity. They did. And, and, and not wanting to know that they weren't in integrity, like just mm-hmm. avoiding the signs that were there. Yeah. And and so, because if you look back, your partner was giving you the signals, and you yeah. were you were accepting the fact that this was okay, because yeah. the, 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 that's the thing I learned most. And then the fourth one that I I can speak to, I just met him for lunch today, and he was the only one that was not dishonest. He just was going through a divorce, and I learned mm-hmm. from someone I when I told them, I said, well. You know, the Umbrella Syndicate has started with my, my friend and co-founder, Mike Chasman. And next thing I know, he's getting divorced when we opened the company. And, and the guy looked at me and says, are you crazy? You never get into a partnership with someone going through a divorce because they're in a loss mentality. They're in a right. struggling survival mentality. You have to wait at least a year, preferably two years after someone goes through a divorce, to even have them understand what the word partnership would mean again. Right, right. That's true. And, and that was very valuable for me because when you learn those kind of lessons – and, and you're going in life to grow, those lessons are actually more costly to learn later. Yeah, that's, that's true. I think one of the things, I, you're right, you sometimes ignore the signals. I mean, I ignored the signals by um, my business partner hadn't been in the business for 10 years um, due to circumstances. And I thought that was okay, you know, but I started to build up resentment toward that. But I think the other thing is, 
you need to get a good lawyer. You're younger. I was in my 30s. Didn't think I needed a lawyer. Uh, and the paperwork was shoddy at best. It was not protecting me. And um, that was a, a rude awakening. I would say if anybody, you're getting into business with somebody, make sure you have good legal counsel and you have everything on paper and you know what you're getting yourself into. Because that was the biggest shock was that, that a lot of it was just false, false paperwork. Yeah, and, and anyone that goes into a partnership without the ironclad agreement has already setting themselves mm-hmm. up for dis- disappointment. And some people think that's in the um, preparing for the dissolvement of the partnership, but really you're just getting very clear about how the partnership right. works. Right. And mm-hmm. and when partnerships fail, it's because typically there was a lack of communication or lack of understanding in the premise exactly. of how the partnership was supposed to function. Exactly. I'd say the other thing is uh, my biggest mistake was I avoided confrontation instead of having real honest uh, conversations, and that's hard to do with volatile people, but you need to have a, a mediator then or somebody come in to do those things for you because the longer you let it go, the more it builds, you know, until it builds a crescendo and then everything collapses, you know. Um, but uh, you can't you can't put your head in the sand, and I think um, that's one of the biggest things. Avoiding confrontation is dangerous. You need to have constructive confrontation, but not just negative confrontation. For, you know, well, one of my most recent epiphanies had to do with uh, looking at partnerships from a social proof standpoint, and mm-hmm. this is something that I I don't think we've ever discussed, Jim. And mm-hmm. someone asked me. They said, "I've had this bad partnership. I've had that," and I said, "Well." do you know how you'd go into a partnership in the future to know that you have a good partner? And they said, no, I really don't know how. And I said, well, I'm studying this. And I think I finally figured out just recently that social proof even has an aspect in that particular area. So in other words, if I meet Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so who wants to have a partnership with me, Mm -hmm. I say social proof wise, can you, and and I said, I'm not insulting you. I'm going to prove to you that I'm going to be the greatest partner for you. In fact, Mm -hmm. I would like us to agree that we will unconditionally compete to give more to each other as the partnership evolves. That way we're always growing. But I'm going to prove to you that I've been a great partner. I'm going to prove to you my commitment by giving you testimonials, endorsements, and references Mm -hmm. of other partnerships I've been in. And that's fascinating. If yeah, you had, that would be in, very interesting. To, to well, that changes that. the whole dynamic. It changes sure the does. whole dynamic of, and and then you say, mm-hmm. now that we both both know that we've vetted each other, so that we're working with the best person we can possibly work with. What role do you want to have? What role do you expect from me? And can we mm-hmm. make an agreement that documents everything in this conversation and that's modifiable to the growth of the partnership? Right. And, and so I just have to tell you, if I didn't have these failures of partners and I and I didn't care about partnership, because I'm actually very weak by myself. I'm great in partnership because I, if you have your strong suits, you have very strong weak suits. I very weak right. uh, suits right. that you have to be ca- careful about. And I'm I'm you know visionaries are the worst. And I and I I'm I'm happy I am one. But man, if I was only that, I'm just an idea guy, mm-hmm. and it doesn't nothing ever happens. Mm-hmm. So I I really I, I love to cultivate a an empowering team. Mm-hmm. And no. the more powerful I make the team, the more actually I get out of it. It's just like you were talking about with the philanthropy. If I, uh, you know, there's a big cost to losing people in your organization. You have to find new people. You have to retrain them. Right. So it's it's really best to find the right person and then do whatever it takes to make sure you keep that great person. Right, right, absolutely. So, uh, what? Who are some mentors that uh, really change your life? You had mentioned the one person who was uh, in, in sixth grade, I believe. Yeah, my sixth grade teacher, uh, Peter Van Duren, was was one of the guys who only taught for three years, but he had a huge impact on the students he taught. But he, you know, didn't conform to 
at school, so he got booted out and ended up selling TVs and stereos, you know, which is unfortunate. The people who were probably the most effective with children aren't teaching. <laughs> so um, I think other mentors in my life, I've had some friends who have come forward with me when I've had ideas. I had a friend out of uh, Nashville. He and I wanted to start a consortium to raise money for a songwriter uh, to Green Bay and actually hire a songwriter out of Nashville, and we did that. Uh, well, feel free to, uh, Jim, feel free to drop names. You can tell the person. Yeah, you Kurt, can say the Kurt Boss name. is one of them, and Ed Thompson, and um, and actually uh, Judy Brooker. The four of us got together, and we uh, did a party about four years ago around Christmas, and we invited all these people to meet this songwriter, and we ended up raising a quarter of a million to pay for this songwriter. And three years into it, all of a sudden, Taylor Swift's record label um, signed on this group that had one of our songs it's called Cruise by Florida Georgia Line one of the wow. biggest country hits ever and our songwriter yeah. wrote it so we were all going to Nashville there was a Green Bay kind of Nashville connection that was kind of started as a lark and uh, it just took off and um, it was amazing we were going to Nashville and meeting the band and and it was just exciting for people who were just investing um, maybe you know one share at $4,000 and some bought up to $20,000 of shares but to see the the catalog of music that we were owning in perpetuity was being developed. I think we own over 100 and 130 songs now. But some of those mentors helped facilitate that because Sam and I were the, uh, uh, Sam Brooker and I were kind of the artsy part of it, but then we had these, Ed and Kurt, who were the financial aspect of it, really helped us with how we would secure uh, and set up the, the program from an investment hey, standpoint. Yeah. Jim, guess what? We are down to rapid fire. We have two minutes, so I'm going to encourage okay, every fire, single person. Joyce, Joyce, quick question, and Jim, quick answer. Your first choice, okay. go. Jim, what's your favorite thing to do in your spare time? Uh, probably flea marketing. Yeah. Andrea? <laughs> Andrea? Um, I want to know what medium you haven't played with yet and that you want to. Mm, yeah, probably, I, have, I probably would like to do more sculpture. I haven't done a lot of sculpture. Todd? Jim, who is your one favorite Packers player of all time? I would probably be, because I interviewed him just recently before he got sick, would be Bart Starr. All right. Mm -hmm. Jim, what are you most proud of? I'm probably most proud of the film Westbound that I directed that premiered on Nashville and played on public television. I think that was my, uh, it took four years to film. I think that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. Joyce? Mm Uh, what's your favorite thing to cook, Jim? I don't cook. I scramble eggs. <laughs> That's about it. In, <laughs> in college, I made lasagna. What about the Rice Krispie bars? Come on. <laughs> I don't cook, honest. Andrea? What's the item on your bucket list that's going to be most challenging to make happen? Um, I've been trying to get to uh, Austria, Vienna, Austria, on Christmas Eve, but I have a 91-year-old mother, and I can't leave on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I think she's going to live to be 100, so it'll be a while before I get to fill that bucket list there. Mm. Todd? Jim, you're described as having a wicked sense of humor. What's your, what's your favorite uh, uh, comedy movie? Oh, man. I love uh, Christmas Vacation <laughs> I, I love anything with falling. I just said I love funniest home videos. I'm I'm like I like slapstick. So I love falls. So that's probably my weakness. There's Jim, what do you want that. for Christmas? If you could have anything, uh, probably a turntable. I'm back into collecting vinyl. 
which I, I love, you know, and I think playing that old records are really nostalgic. I love that. Oh my gosh, we have to talk after the show. Okay, Joyce? <laughs> <laughs> uh, where's your favorite place to go for vacation? Uh, vacation, probably, I love Key West because I have a cousin that's a mm-hmm. place where I get to use for free. Uh, otherwise, it would be Costa Rica where I go back and see my family. I'm planning to go back and see them where I lived. If you had to choose East Coast or West Coast to live, which one? Mm, probably East Coast. Jim, last question okay. is, how do people reach you? Uh, they reach me at J-I-M at K-H-R-O-M-E A-G-E-N-C-Y dot com. Jim at com. Well, Jim, you have been amplified. We absolutely love <laughs> who you are and what you do for community. And there are well, so many things you. that we learn and so many uh, gold nuggets. I can't wait to meet you in person. Thank you very okay. much and happy holidays. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye, Joyce. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplify. Be sure to join Ken Rashan again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard.